Pranthis Press Audio presents The Pursuit of Penderwinkle by Cheryl K. Hammond. Read by Gordon Allen Sales. Dedication. To Greg, Lacey, and Professor Mint, I couldn't have done it without you. Introduction. It was in the summer of 1996 when the character of Perry Penderwinkle came knocking on the door of my imagination. But at that time, I was far too busy to answer the door and let him in. Summer break was upon us, which brought with it a house full of rambunctious children with more energy than I or they knew what to do with. Add in the weeks we all spent with our eyes glued to the television screen as we watched the Summer Olympics in Atlanta, and the weekends I spent canvassing, making calls, and sending out mailers for the Dole Kemp campaign in the run-up to the November election, and it was safe to say that I had little room in my schedule for much else. And so I ignored Perry Penderwinkle's knocks at the door and assumed he'd go away and leave me in peace. Well, for any of you writers out there, I'm sure you already know how that went. Perry Penderwinkle did indeed leave for the rest of the summer and the rest of the year. But like all good characters that appear in the mind of their authors, he eventually returned. This next time he came back with greater force, banging on the door of my mind, and he seemed to have no intention of stopping until I let him in. This brings us to the spring of 1997 when finally I allowed Mr. Penderwinkle into my life, and that's when he began to tell me his story. Like an old friend from out of town or a neighbor you only run into occasionally, he would come by for a visit, then go away for a week or two weeks or six months, but always return again. With every return visit, he would bring me another story or two. By the end of 1999, I had completed a draft of this novel, which I was more or less satisfied with. At the time, I gave it the title, The Memory of Marjorie, which, I'm happy to say, did not stick. But unfortunate title names aside, I felt the story was ready to publish. Yet seven months and 26 rejection letters later, I had a change of heart. Perhaps this Perry Penderwinkle was not so special after all, and maybe his story wasn't as interesting as I'd led myself to believe. I stowed away the unpublished manuscript in a box in the garage and tried to forget it. Within the year, I had accepted a teaching position at the local community college in a neighboring town here in Vermont. Once again, I fell out of touch with my old friend Perry Penderwinkle. He tried to visit on a few occasions over the years, but I'd locked and bolted the door. Eventually, he gave up trying to pay me any more visits. At this point, you're probably thinking, Cheryl, get on with it. This introduction is turning into a novella. I promise you, reader, that this introduction is swiftly making its way to a conclusion, if you'll read on just a bit further. Everything changed in 2017 when, after 17 years of teaching, I retired, hoping to find more time to enjoy with my husband Greg and the other two loves of my life, Lacey and Professor Mint. In addition, I hoped that my extra free time would give me a chance to pursue a number of hobbies and old interests that had fallen by the wayside over the years. Chief among them was writing. It wasn't long before I dug out my old manuscript from the garage and invited my old friend Perry Penderwinkle to come back over for a visit. Once more, he captivated this writer's imagination with his tales of adventure and daring. After a reread and a few edits, I felt again that this story, which was now called The Pursuit of Penderwinkle, was one that I was ready to share with the world. Over the course of some months, a dear friend and former colleague of mine offered to read this book, and she liked it enough to pass it along to someone over at Pranthus Press, who is now my publisher, 
and the reason you're reading a copy of this book. And now, we are nearing the end of this unexpectedly lengthy yet informative introduction. As I sit in my kitchen, drinking a cup of yerba mate, the final version of this book has just been sent off to the publishers, and my part in this story is now done. After 23 years, my own pursuit of Penderwinkle has finally come to an end. For the pursuit, dear reader, is now yours, and may it bring you as much joy and wonder as my own pursuit has brought me. With love and affection, Cheryl K. Hammond, Enosburg, Vermont, August 2019. Part 1. Penderwinkle. Prologue. Perry Penderwinkle. Stop! Please! Help! It's not my fault, Perry! I didn't do it! Tell them I'm innocent! Help! Please! Perry Penderwinkle stared past the shouting man, his cold stare fixed on something just through the doorway and into the next room, as the man was unceremoniously dragged out of the flat. He kept shouting, yelling, but Perry was deaf to his cries. Perry did not know if he could blink. He felt his breath catch in his chest. He was paralyzed where he stood. His eyes were glued to the body, now dead, lying on the floor in the next room, a small pool of blood beneath her torso. She had been shot. Her skin, growing paler by the moment, her eyes still open in surprise. She had not expected to die, not here, not in this flat, not in her flat. Perry was shell-shocked, though his face did not show it, not now. How could this have been her end? How could she be gone? Marjorie, only sixty-three, his wife. Perry, old boy, said a gruff voice, snapping him out of his daydreaming. You'd best come on now. No need for you to see any more of this, the voice reassured him. Perry felt a large hand rest on his shoulder. It was Cranley, of course. He'd have been one of the first to be notified. No doubt there would be more members of the service showing up any moment quick to check over the flat before the police arrived and had any chance to muck things up. Perry turned, letting Cranley lead him toward the door, down the stairway and out onto the street. That's a good man, Barry, all right. We'll have you out of here before everyone else shows up, Cranley said as he led Perry toward the waiting car. Marcus, you saw him when you arrived, Perry asked, a look of anger in his eyes, his voice low and hoarse as he spoke. Yes, P, I saw him. Come now. We'll have time for talk later. We really must be out of here before the police arrive. It wouldn't be good for you, you know. Can't have your face flashing across television screens all over England. For your own safety, you understand, Cranley said as he opened the car door and helped Perry into the back seat. I'll meet you at HQ then, Perry, all right? My driver will have you there in no time, Cranley replied, closing the door behind Perry. As the car sped off, Perry took a moment, shut his eyes and breathed in. He exhaled. Then he took another breath. Marcus. Marcus in Perry's flat. Marcus standing over Marjorie's dead body. The look of horror on his face. The fear in his eyes when Perry came around the corner and their eyes met. Help me, please. Perry repeated the phrase under his breath, remembering Marcus's final plea as he was being dragged out of the flat. No, Marcus. I'm afraid you can't be helped. Not this time. Chapter 1. Penderwinkle Prepares Perry Penderwinkle sat in an uncomfortable wooden chair, his nearly empty metal desk in front of him. On the left side of the desk sat a corded phone, and a notepad and two pens sat on the right. 
He sat in his small, sparsely furnished office, a bookcase and fake plant on one wall, a floor-to-ceiling window on the wall behind him, a doorway out into the hall, and another door leading into a small closet. Two chairs sat opposite his desk, their backs facing the door to the hallway. Outside his office, Perry could hear the hum of fluorescent lights coming from the hallway and the occasional sound of a phone ringing or the click-clack of someone typing at a computer. Tapping his fingers impatiently on the desk, he continued to wait. It was 8.16 a.m. and his meeting had been set to start at the top of the hour. Perry did not take kindly to waiting. He could not remember ever having been late to a meeting, whether in his time with the service or even in some entry-level job before university. Punctuality, in his book, was next to godliness. Perry turned around in his swivel chair, taking in the cityscape behind him. It was overcast, a balmy October morning in New York City. From his office on the 32nd floor, he could see the UN building to his east. He could see just across the East River into Brooklyn and Queens, and much of downtown Manhattan as well. On a good day, he could see the Statue of Liberty, but not today. All was grey, cloudy, and fog-covered. Dark clouds loomed over the horizon, threatening a thunderstorm later this evening. His attention was brought back into the room when he heard footsteps rushing down the hallway. Running, it sounded like, accompanied by the sound of someone out of breath. A tall, skinny, mustachioed man with wispy blonde hair, thick glasses, and a dark brown suit came rushing into the room with a stack of folders filled with disheveled papers. His brow was sweaty and his face red, as if he'd sprinted all the way to this meeting. Mr. Pemberwimble, I am so incredibly sorry. My apologies. I had you marked down as starting next Tuesday, not today. You can imagine my surprise, Penderwinkle, Perry corrected. I beg your pardon, the man said in confusion. Penderwinkle. My name is Penderwinkle, not Penderwimble, Perry stated. Oh, yes. No, of course not. My apologies. You'll excuse me, but I'm... As you can see, a little unprepared for your arrival. I'm sorry, I haven't introduced myself. I'm Martin. We spoke over the phone. Martin Nesson. It's wonderful to finally meet you, Mr. Penderwindle. How are you settling in? Perry studied the nervous, rather unkempt man before him, pants wrinkled, hair sticking to his sweaty forehead, his folders and papers wrinkled and seemingly thrown together in disarray. He was about to mention that Mr. Nesson was nearly twenty minutes late, but then thought better of it. I believe I have everything in order here. I'm anxious to be put to work if it's all the same to you. I don't much care for sitting around. Not too good at it, I guess you could say. Tends to drive me up the wall, Perry relayed casually, hoping it might help calm the other man's nerves. Martin seemed to relax, and a look of relief washed over his face. Oh, thank heavens, Mr. Penderwindle. I'm glad to hear you're all set. I can get you started right away, then. Thank you. I should like that very much. Perry said in a more genial tone. He couldn't remember the last time he had been employed in an office like this one, probably not since he was back in school. Rather a bore, if I remember. But then again, what isn't a bore these days? Besides, I think I could do with a little less excitement for the time being. The days of danger and intrigue are long over for this one, he thought. It's time to have a life of my own, and that old life is over. No clearer an indicator of his desire to start over was his decision to move across the pond to America, New York City no less. If all went as planned, Perry would work for another five or six years, then retire to a small house in the country. Maybe some part of upstate New York or somewhere in New Jersey or Connecticut. 
Shall we start with a tour of the office, Mr. Penderwindle? Uh, I mean, uh, Penderbindle... Perry, Penderwinkle responded. You can call me Perry if it's all the same to you. And yes, a tour of the place sounds fine. Very well, Perry, Nesson said with a look of relief. You can follow me this way. Let's introduce you to some of your colleagues.